and I'm fumbling, you know, the beginning stages of hypothermia. I'm really struggling trying to secure the corners and tie the knots. At that point, I mean, I literally had my finger hovering over the, the button, the call button on my VHF radio so I could call for help. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, where we talk to athletes, adventurers, and business owners from around the world of adventure sports. Whether you're climbing Mount Everest, starting a bike shop, or getting up off your couch to take your kids hiking for the first time, we want you to have the motivation and inspiration you need to chase that next adventure. The Adventure Sports Podcast is brought to you by Camp Crate, the leaders in fully planned self-guided backpacking adventures, as well as backpacking gear rental. You can check them out at campcrate.net. So I know a few weeks ago we had Brett Friedman uh, kind of giving an overview of how to sea kayak and what sea kayaking is. And uh, he mentioned he did the inside passage um, but we didn't get, get too far into it. Today we have Susan Marie Conrad talking about the Inside Passage and her crazy, awesome expedition doing the whole 1,200-mile waterway route. It is awesome. It's along the entire western coast of British Columbia. It starts in Washington and finishes in Alaska. And you're going through these fjords and these islands. Uh, it's It's wild. There's moose. There's grizzly bears. There's ships to watch out for there's killer whales and all kinds of crazy just an amazing juxtaposition between land adventure and sea adventure and all the animals that that involves and she's a great storyteller and you can check out her book it's called inside one woman's journey through the inside passage and you know there were great times and hard times and we'll get into it more in the episode but i wanted to thank you guys first uh for making this looking like one of the best months we've ever had. Keep sharing the show, keep telling your friends about it, keep using it for inspiration, and keep applying to the Adventure Grant if you haven't already. We've gotten a lot of applicants, and somebody on June 15th is going to be winning $1,000 announced on this show for their adventure in 2019. If you know somebody doing something, have them apply. All that The link is in our show notes, as well as any deals with sponsors, um, or advertisers, that is all in our show notes as well, as well as any way to get a hold of Susan Marie during this, uh, who's in this episode. All right, so our sponsors today are Athletic Brewing, the makers of the world's best craft non-alcoholic beer. Yesterday, we had a friend over, and uh, he, I was like, hey, man, you want a beer? And he said, sure, I haven't had a drink in a while. So I handed him an Athletic Brewing beer, and uh, we drank it, and it was really good, and he, he mentioned how good of a beer it was afterwards. And I told him it was non-alcoholic. And uh, <laughs> that just goes to show you, he had no idea. It blew his mind. It goes to show you how good it tastes. Um, also have CS Instant Coffee. They are the makers of 100% Arabica Instant Coffee. And they make it in these little, little packets that you can take with you, little single-serve packets. Super, super convenient to take with you on a, on a run. Well, I guess you wouldn't drink coffee on a run, but, you know, out in the woods on a hunt on a hike and if you have a way to heat up water you can just enjoy a great cup of coffee i've definitely moved to that direction versus carrying a little french press or 
coffee filter and all that out in the woods. The instant stuff makes it a heck of a lot easier. We got deals with them too in the show notes. And also we have the Nomadic. It's a subscription box service for athlete or for adventure athletes chosen by adventure athletes and outdoor enthusiasts. So it's full of all this cool gear. We're giving away three boxes for free. Sign up on the URL that's in the show notes, uh, thenomadic.com and, uh, I think it's slash adventure sports podcast, but check the show notes just to be sure. And uh, yeah, see if you can get a free, free subscription box. It'd be pretty awesome. It's like a $75 value. So it's worth a shot. All right, let's do this. All right, everybody. So welcome to the show. Today we have a, a sport that we've been featured a, a few times here and there, but not a ton, sea kayaking. And basically what that entails is kayaking on the ocean. And today we are featuring somebody who's done an expedition with that, which was the Inside Passage. And uh, her name is Susan Conrad, and she'll explain more of what it is. She is a sponsored athlete by a company called Exped. And uh, yeah, she just did this epic journey that she wrote a book about and we'll be talking about all all of that susan welcome to the show yeah thanks for having me yeah awesome so so you know you you did the inside passage for someone that doesn't know what that is could you just explain it real quick yeah sure so the inside passage it's um it's a coastal route it's a it's an extraordinary coastal route actually that starts in the southern puget sound area of washington state and uh, it essentially connects that area to the Panhandle in Southeast Alaska. So it's about a, oh, roughly a 1,300 mile connector. <laughs> so there's a, you know, a lot of water going on there, a lot of uh, paddle strokes that can take place. It's, a, it's also a, a major transportation route, of course, for goods traveling between Seattle and, and Alaska, and real popular cruising route. And you know, the, the BC ferries, Alaska ferries, cruise ships every imaginable tug and freighter and barge and and recreational vessel and you know all that ply those waters so you, you can have your moments or days and even weeks of pretty intense solitude or you can have this real kind of busy nautical thoroughfare it's it's definitely a land of contrast wow so so you weren't ever really uh alone out there um at least you might have been the only kayaker but not the only vessel yeah, there there were days where, um, you know, I might see another boat in passing in the really remote areas further north, um, just maybe wave to a fisherman or something. But yeah, there there were there was probably um, close to a 10 day stretch where I, I refer to it as where I lived in this social vacuum where I, you know, hardly saw another human being for that whole spell. Holy cow, that is that sounds awesome. So so before we really get into the 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 journey itself, um where where are you coming from today? I live uh not too far from where I took my first strokes of this adventure, um near the Puget Sound. Um actually a little community uh called Oso, which is a little further inland, just kind of at the the base of the the North Cascades. So uh, I've got the best of both worlds. Within minutes, I can be hiking in the mountains, or um, I can set my boat out on the salt water and, and go for a paddle. Wow, you know, I, I I've said this before. Listeners probably get tired of me saying. I think that area, especially like around the North Cascades, is probably one of the most under 
underrated areas in the country. I just don't feel like I hear about it a lot. Um, yeah. I don't know what it is, but I mean, I, I'm sure maybe, you know, since you live there, you don't feel that way, but being out here, I just didn't know anything about it growing up on the East coast. And, and when I first saw it, I'm like, this is, li- this looks like the stinking Alps. Like how is this mm-hmm. not more famous? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I had the same experience. Uh, I lived in Montana for 20 years and, you know, which in itself is just absolutely gorgeous, but I started making these treks to get my saltwater fix and that would bring me right over the Cascades and I'm just like, holy cow, you know, look, look at this place. It's it's just drop dead gorgeous. And of course, I eventually ended up after living in Montana for 20 years and then I, I did this expedition and about a year later, I, I had to, I had to be closer to the saltwater. So that's what brought me here. Yeah, I don't blame you. That's probably, man, that's one of the greatest meetings of, of mountains and ocean in the country mm-hmm. is, is that area. It's, oh, it's gorgeous and Absolutely. so yes yeah, so, so how did you uh you know what what did you grow up doing as far as sports uh did, did were you into sea kayaking or did you discover it later in life yeah no I was uh it's kind of ironic because uh um well first of all my, my parents did a really good job at instilling fear of water in me because my uh cousin had drowned she was five years old and I was four at the time and um so she had drowned my father's niece, and I guess he had just decided at that point that his daughter was not going to reach you know, or have the same demise. And so they, they forbid me to go near water, um, you know, all of my youth growing up. But, you know, of course, what do kids do when they're told not to do something? I almost gravitated towards water and, and <laughs> Yeah, um, you I, must I, you must give them panic attacks now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was very defiant little girl, and uh, would always sneak away and and get uh, water fixes whenever I could. But no, I was I was not an athletic child. I was the textbook, uh, you know, klutz kid, always the last or next to the last to be picked for all the team sports, and um, you know that really affected my my self confidence and self image and and I think that's why I always gravitated more toward the the individual sports when I got a little older. I really took to um, skiing and bicycling and running trail running and that sort of thing but I didn't set foot uh, in a kayak until I was uh, thirty thirty years old and uh, that was on a, a large lake in Montana a thirty mile long massive lake that sits just at the base of the Rockies, just drop dead gorgeous, um, called Flathead Lake. And so that was my first experience. And, uh, I was just like, I wouldn't say I was a natural at it, but I I had a friend who was coaching me. Um, and I'd say within an hour or so I started feeling really comfortable and and thought, wow, you know, I I could see myself doing this. It It was something that I actually picked up pretty easy and that um, I eventually got, you know, really comfortable and, and confident at. So uh, that's where it all began when, when I was 30 years old. And then I started guiding for an outfitter in Montana, uh, did that for about 10 years. And then I got this crazy idea to start my own company. And I, I ran my own kayak company uh, for about another 10 years. So we did a lot of whitewater, of course, but we also... Uh, would bring clients to the San Juan Islands and um, do guided trips. And that was sort of my introduction to, um, you know, saltwater paddling in a more extensive sort of way. Man, 20 years worth of experience guiding as well. That is awesome. That has to be just an incredible way to spend your time taking other people to see that, usually probably for the first time. 
Yeah. Well, you know, we, of course, we would do scope out trips um, before we bought brought paying clients there. Just so. Well, we, I mean, uh, for them, it's their first time probably oh, ever yeah. doing anything like that. Absolutely. Yeah. It was, and that's what I really loved was you know sharing my passion of this sport and, and getting people in the great outdoors and, and, and just seeing the, you know, the wow factor just written all over their, their, their faces and their, their body language, you know, it's just like, there's, it's nothing like it. So, so, so what is it for you about being on the water and being in this vessel that that's maybe different than other things you've done? I'm sure you've hiked and maybe ridden a bike some or, or done other things. What, what, what is it about the water for you? Yeah, I, I think that first time I got into that kayak on that mountain lake, uh, I, well, I immediately <clears throat> recognized its, um, its potential for solitude and, and, uh, you know, just obviously just getting out on the water. But, um, when I was introduced to multi-day trips, it's like, wow, you know, not only can you go out on these, you know, single day forays, but you can pack everything that you need in these kayaks and, you know, disappear for days or even, weeks at a time. So just like everything I needed to survive was either on my person or in that kayak. And it just, that really spoke to me. It was like, you know, this is like backpacking on the water, but without the heavy weight on your shoulders. <laughs> that and, is so uh, funny. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that, that really spoke to me. And that's how I started getting into these, you know, little mini adventures. I take off for a long weekend and then that long weekend turned into a week and then you know, two weeks. And, <laughs> and I had a, uh, a dear friend, um, who had done the inside passage actually in 1992. And he had introduced me to, you know, little sections of it, a hundred miles here, a hundred miles there. And that's where I really discovered wilderness paddling. And, and eventually I, um, he became my mentor and, uh, I eventually connected the dots and, and, and I decided that I wanted to do that whole trip, um, from, from beginning to end, from top to bottom, <clears throat> or I should say bottom to top, I went south to north and connect all those dots and, and paddle the inside passage. Oh, man. So it was all uphill then going north. <laughs> yeah. You I'm sure you heard that. that a few times. <laughs> <laughs> all uphill. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, did a, I did a similar thing. on. I, I love to bicycle bike tour, and it's the same thing like you were saying. It's a lot like backpacking. Um, but you can kind of, it's a little more solitude cause there aren't nearly as many people usually out there doing the same thing. And for mm -hmm. you, your trail is essentially wherever the water is. I mean, you know, I know you got to watch out for things, but you don't have to stick to this trail necessarily. No one's going to get on to you when you go quote off trail because <laughs> you're not going to mess anything up. Exactly. And it's not like, you know, the PCT or any kind of a, a long distance hiking trail where there's, you know, this definitive beginning and end and you, you know, you hike. And it's a, a, you know, an obvious trail and you drop your pack and you set up camp. Uh, you know, it, it's obviously not like that on the inside passage. <laughs> right, right. And I, I've heard you don't, now this, I, I don't know anything about sea kayaking, but we had a guy a few weeks ago talking a little bit about it. And he said, uh, one thing he likes about it is he doesn't have to be nearly as particular about the weight as a backpacker mm -hmm. might have to be as far as like ounces and fractions of ounces uh, is that true? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. The boats can hold you know, these uh, full-on expedition kayaks. Mine was 18 feet, four inches uh, long, 21 inches wide, real long and narrow. But um, it could hold more than probably the biggest backpack. And and yeah, weight 
weight isn't an issue. Actually, if you pack it properly, um, <clears throat> so that it doesn't list to one side or the other, which is really critical, but it's actually more stable. It, it creates ballast in the boat. And, um, let's see, uh, you know, we kayakers, we like to eat. Um, we like to bring our bottles of wine and an occasional, you know, bottle wow, of beer or whatever awesome. along. And wow. So, yeah. Yeah. As, as long as you distribute the weight evenly. Um, and, of course, you know, you don't want to bring the kitchen sink because you have to deal with every fistful of gear that you end up bringing with you. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, true. No, I, I totally get it. The bicycle's the same way. You know, if I want a jar of peanut butter, guess what? I'm buying a jar of peanut butter and I'm throwing it in there because it's really not going to make a huge difference. And that bike definitely can hold a lot more than my shoulders are willing to. So mm -hmm. uh, I, I definitely enjoy that side of it as well. Um, well, neat. So, so, so you got the idea for the inside passage and, and you said you, you guided for a decade at a time and, and then you started your business for a decade. So, so how old were you when you decided to do this? <laughs> I was, uh, that was one of many reasons that, uh, I decided to do this. I was approaching the big five Oh, I was 49 and, uh, I wanted to <clears throat> do something, you know, somewhat substantial before I, I turned that milestone birthday with a big fat zero in it. So <laughs> that's awesome. That was that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. That is so cool to me. I'm I'm a little ways away, but um, just knowing that you know th th these incredible, really life altering adventures really don't have to they don't have to be done while you're in college, and they don't have to be done you know before you you, you have a really uh, involved career. Even they can they can right. be later on if if that's what your life is is the trajectory of it is. And wow. This, so yeah, so so once you got the idea, you, you ended up starting in the Puget Sound and going north um, up to Alaska. Uh, man, what was it like to plan for that? Was it difficult? But you know, I know you, you probably had a lot of the gear and experience, um, but still, was it challenging for you to put all that together? <clears throat> yeah, I, you know, I was I was pretty adamant about the preparation phase. Um, I, I spent oh the good part of. 10, 11 months preparing for this. So, you know, on all those levels that you would imagine. So physically, of course, I wasn't in the best of shape when I got this idea. So, um, I spent the next 10, 11 months just, uh, of course, paddling. I started logging, you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles of, of you know, training miles paddling. And then I would alternate that with, uh, trail running or mountain biking, um, I'm not a gym rat by any means, but I, I did join a gym. I really wanted to focus on my core and my leg strength because, um, you know, so many people think that kayaking is just exclusively an upper body sport, but, but it really isn't, you know, you really engage your, your whole body, your core, um, and, and, and even your, your lower body when you're really putting in those long miles. And I was essentially paddling the equivalent of a marathon, um, you know, most days, day after day after day for, for 66 days. So I just, I just reasoned that the success of the trip would really hinge on me taking my first strokes, being <clears throat> in the best shape that I possibly could. And that worked out pretty well for me, but you know, also the food component was huge. I had, uh, I think four or five dehydrators going 24 seven for months, you know, leading up to the trip. Oh, wow. You know? So you did all that yourself. I did, you know, and I, I brought um, lots of pastas and rice and instant mashed potatoes was one of my all-time favorite uh, standbys. Oh, yeah. But 
Yeah. Love but I'm not stuff. a big fan of, um, you know, the, the pouch meals that, that you can buy like mountain house and, you know, things like that. So big fan of dehydrating. I just like to know what's in my food. And I'm also very kind of sentimental and nostalgic. Like I remember I'd be slicing up oranges or apples and thinking, you know, holding it in my hand and looking at it like, wow, I'm going to actually be eating this in Alaska, you know, one of these days soon. So that, that was all, yeah, that was all part of the process and, you know, getting the gear around, of course, since I had owned my own company, I, I, I was fairly well set with, um, with really good gear, but also I needed to get a little more well-versed on the electronics, you know, the, the GPS, um, I also decided to use a spot satellite tracking device so that my friends and family could follow along and log on to Google Earth and see where I was at, you know, any given time and and uh, just kind of brush up on my seamanship skills, boat handling skills, make sure I had my bomber roll going. And and yeah, so there, there's a, a lot of um, elements involved to that preparatory phase for sure. So what was it like that first day when you when you set out? And where was that? <laughs> yeah, so that was uh, Anacortes, Washington, which is, oh, it's about an hour, maybe hour and a half drive north of Seattle in the Puget Sound. And so I started from a, a beautiful little park called Washington Park. So it's the, the gateway to the San Juan Islands is how Anacortes is promoted. And uh, it, it was, it was, um, it was a very memorable day. Six of my best friends came to see me off. And uh, they came from uh, the East Coast. I grew up in upstate New York. My best friend surprised me, came out from New York to be on the beach that day. I had a friend come down from British Columbia, friends from Washington State. And, uh, you know, we did the obligatory bottle of champagne and christened my bow and, and uh, had this really wonderful little ceremony and, um, you know, they just, they helped carry the boat and got it floating. And I, uh, slipped into the cockpit and put my spray skirt and around the rim of the cockpit and sealed myself in and took my first strokes and looked back at them and said, Hey, I guess, I guess I'm doing this. <laughs> I'll see you in three months. <laughs> what a crazy feeling. Oh, it my really gosh. was. It, it was wild. I was ready. And I was, I was just, you know, talk about, you know, like they say, a runner's high, you know, I, that I, I don't think I've replicated that feeling, you know, since it's, it's, it was just so such an amazing feeling to, to paddle away. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you said that. But a lot of our listeners listen to the show because they may, maybe never experienced that and they want to know what that's like. I, I think you'd agree. We cannot encourage you listeners enough. Every one of you, it is our hope that you feel that feeling at least one time in your life because it's mm -hmm. it, it's hard to recreate honestly and especially for the first time but when you yeah. train for something so diligently and you prepare and you financially prepare and you get everything together and it's months and months and months and then you you go I don't know about it how it is for you just so many things are not what you expect as well as so many things are what you expect you know being there and setting off and and, and then it's just this crazy sensation once you realize I'm here and I'm doing it and I'm all alone mm -hmm. now. <laughs> like once yeah. you start paddling away, there's, you're like, I'm for the next three months, I'm out here. This is crazy. Yep. Yep. <laughs> this is what I signed up for. And, you know, so many people ask me about the whole fear component, you know, like, you know, weren't you afraid, you know, aren't you scared? And, and, you know, I think, um, 
think Rosa Parks said it best. When, once one's mind is made up, fear diminishes. I think that's how it went. And, and it's like, yeah, I mean, my mind was made up. I was a woman on a mission. And, you know, of course, there were fears, you know, you know, being totally honest as a woman paddling the inside passage by myself there. I entertained a few fears, but I think because I was so prepared, I mean, I, I almost felt like incorrigibly prepared. So I, I think that helped mitigate some of the, um, well, the, the risks, the potential risks and the, and the resulting fears from those risks. But, um, you know, I, I feared, I had a lot of fears, like that the seas would kick up and maybe I'd capsize. And then, you know, hypothermia, drowning. Um, I feared, uh, like I mentioned earlier, there was a lot of shipping traffic on parts of the route. So it's like, God, am I going to get run over by a big ship or, you know, even a small ship? Uh, I, I feared bears. I had a lot of encounters with um, mama, very territorial mama grizzly bears up in the further reaches of the route. Um, you know, one of my biggest fears was that of men with ill intentions. Like when I got closer to these resupply ports of call and was, you know, coming into civilization. Um, so yeah, all, all these different fears, but I, I had a couple of strategies in dealing with them. And, and what seemed to work the most for me was to, you know, continually ask myself if the fear that I was experiencing, uh, was, was it directly proportionate to what was actually happening in front of my bow or in front of my face if I was on land. So, like, in other words, was it a, a real valid threat that demanded immediate action or, or was it just a, a perceived threat, which was usually the case, you know, that I'm basing this on the assumption that something or someone might harm me. So, so it was really, for me, it was about, you know, compartmentalizing my fears and, and sometimes just having a blatant disregard for them and just like, OK, you really don't exist, you know, and, and just putting in a, in a box, so to speak. And it's like, hey, this is what I signed up for. Um, th th this is what I'm doing. So onward and upward. Athletic Brewing is pioneering non-alcoholic craft beer. Yeah, I said non-alcoholic craft beer. And there's a number of reasons you might want to do that. Whether you're training for an event, which a lot of our listeners are, or, you know, if, you, if you're babysitting and don't want to be drunk in case something happens. I mean, stuff happens, but you still want to sit down and enjoy the game and have a beer. This is an incredible option for a full-flavored, full-bodied beer. Each can is only 50 to 70 calories. With IPA, golden ale, stouts, and tons of seasonal offerings, Athletic Brewing is a great option if you want that craft brewery taste, uh, but not deal with the effects of alcohol itself. Uh, if you'd like to save 15% on your first order, go to athleticbrewing.com and use the code ADVENTURE at checkout. No, that, that's good. That's good. I mean, you, there's a, honestly doing something like that. There's a million things you could be fearful of simultaneously mm -hmm. all the time. And that's, that's life. I mean, you kind of just have to cross bridges when you get to them. You know, you're, when you're in the middle of the, the Puget Sound, there's no real use of worrying about grizzlies in that moment. I mean, they can't get to you when you're five right. miles offshore. <laughs> But, mm -hmm. you know, that, that is something to worry about when it's, it's right there in front of your face and deal with it then. But, um, mm -hmm. man, that's, yeah. that's really good. So, so, wow, you definitely prepared well and, and, and mentally prepared well, it seems like, as well. Uh, speaking of fear, was it, what, what 
did anything happen where you had to use those strategies and get out of danger <clears throat> like immediately? Um, well, I never capsized. I came, I came close a few times. Um, and what would you do if you did? I, I don't know a whole lot about it, to be honest. Yeah. Well, um, you know, at that time, um, my role was pretty bomber because I had gone out in real conditions, you know, wearing the full on armor that, you know, the full wetsuit, the dry top, all the gear, the neoprene booties, the, the hat, the neoprene skull cap, the gloves, you know, cause I'm paddling on 50 degree water and my boat is fully loaded. It's probably 150 pounds of boat and gear, you know, plus myself in there. Um, and then everything I would have on the deck, um, you know, the, the deck bag, the compass, the spare paddle, all those items. And I would go out in real conditions and capsize on purpose, you know, in training, of course. Um, and, and capsize and roll and roll and roll until I was just, you know, dizzy and beside myself. And then, you know, rolls do fail. So I would also practice, um, bailing out intentionally and, uh, doing what they call a deep water reentry. So, you know, getting back into the kayak um, and, you know, reattaching the skirt, bilging the water out and then being on your way. And you know, it's one thing to do it in a, a calm environment. A lot of people practice in pools, but uh, it's a whole different ball of wax when you're out there in real conditions. Um, so it's a, men- it's a mental gig, too. So, yeah, to answer your question, if I had, uh, of course, I'd, I'd try to fire off a roll try two or three times. And if that failed, I'm out of the boat and I'm, you know, my training is hopefully going to kick in and I'm going to get my butt back in that boat (laughs) and, uh, you know, and keep paddling. So, but fortunately that never happened. Um, but other, other issues, I start the book off with, uh, what was probably the low light of the journey. (laughs) Not probably, it definitely was the low light. It's the closest I'd come to aborting the whole trip. And, and let's see, I think I'm, I'm 36 or 37 days into the expedition and I was going through this, um, this 50 mile long fjord in British Columbia. And it was, you know, drop dead gorgeous part of the inside passage, but also the, the wildest and most, most remote section and also the steepest section. So this fjord, the, the cliff walls are going up anywhere from one to 2000 feet straight up. And so there, there's no place to come ashore, um, sometimes for five to 10 miles at a time. And then even if there was a place to come ashore, uh, it's an area that's prone to extreme tidal differences. So, you know, I'm talking, you know, minus tides all the way up to like 23, 24 foot high tides. So these are little tiny pocket beaches where, you know, there's no way that, you know, it's just going to be underwater when the highest of the high tides come up in the, in the middle of the night. And, um, so I, I'm traveling up this fjord and, uh, I'm looking at the chart on the deck of my kayak and trying to compare it with the terrain in front of me. And I'm thinking, oh, good, a couple more miles and I, I can get out of the kayak and set up camp. I think I can eke out a campsite here. It might be above the high tide line. And I come to that point and, uh, there is a mama grizzly bear with, um, two cubs on that little tiny beach and she made it very clear that that was her beach. <laughs> so, of course, I didn't even get out of the boat. And I, I kept paddling and paddling. And there wasn't any place to come ashore for about another five or six miles. And it, it was like the same scenario, though. I, I come to that next little beach thinking, okay, 
by now I've done about 30, 33 miles. And I was like, I've got to get out of this boat. I've, I've got to set up camp. The winds are kicking up. It's pouring rain. Um, I'm starting to shiver. And uh, I come around the corner and the same scenario. There's another brown bear with, with two little cubs. <laughs> so I'm like, all right. So I keep paddling. And, you know, long story short, now I've reached the 40 mile mark. It's going to be dark soon. Um, the winds are just whipping down this fjord and uh, it's getting pretty crazy. And it's just like, you know, I've got to get out of this boat. And so I ended up having to make do with this extremely marginal camp. I mean, it was it was like, I always equate it to camping in a saltwater chicken coop because it was so, oh, it just smelled horrific. It was so mucky and so marshy. I mean, it was just trying to peel my neoprene boots off with every step. And I had to schlep my, my gear, all of my gear, and then eventually the kayak um, through this expanse of gloppy nothingness for about the equivalent, equivalent of a football field, maybe, maybe a little bit longer until I could get above that high tide line. And um, I knew I, I didn't see any physical signs of bears, but I knew that they were there. So I was pretty nerve wracked by that point. And I'm shivering. So I, I taught classes on hypothermia years ago. So I, I, I was aware that I was in trouble. And I'm trying to set up my tarp and, and the wind is just, you know, whipping the corners of the tarp out of my hands. And, and I'm fumbling, you know, the beginning stages of hypothermia. I'm really struggling trying to secure the corners and tie the knots. And, um, at that point, I mean, I literally had my finger hovering over the, the button, the call button on my VHF radio. So I could call for help. That was my first line of defense if I needed to, to call for help. And so I'm, I'm rehearsing what I'm going to say when the Coast Guard or whoever picks up the transmission on the other end, <laughs> I'm rehearsing it out loud, you know, in this gale force, uh, horrific storm that's just come down this fjord. And that's when my, my ego kicked in, though. And, and I'm just thinking, you know, how's this going to play out? You know, I, I've put so much effort and time and money into this expedition. I'm about halfway through and I'm going to bail. <laughs> it's like, I don't think so. So um, I had had a major uh, epic meltdown, you know, epic proportions where I just start screaming at the top of my lungs. I mean, just <laughs> like primal screams and the forest is just reabsorbing the screams. It, it doesn't care. <laughs> and uh, I think something just snapped, um, you know, my mental status just snapped. That was a good thing. It was like a it was this life-giving rage, I think, is what was happening in that moment. And, you know, I got over that hissy fit and I just thought, okay, well, you've got yourself into this, Susan. You better put on your big girl panties and figure a way out. <laughs> so, you know, magically, the tarp started cooperating. Um, I got the tent set up, got the sleeping bag out, um, <clears throat> ingested uh, a meager amount of calories compared to what I had expended that day. And, and uh, climbed into the tent and pulled my hat over my eyes and, and uh, just laid there and took a couple deep breaths and just convinced myself that I was going to wake up alive the next morning. <laughs> and I did, of course. Uh, woke up and uh, there was amazingly blue sky and, and I packed up as fast as, I, as I'd ever packed up, I think, for that entire expedition. And I just got the heck out of Dodge. What was that day like the next day? <laughs> The next day was magical. Um, I, I had about a, only an eight-mile pat. 
Yeah. <laughs> eight mile paddle. Yes. Yeah, you know, the contrast with the magic and the mis- misery. Um, so, you know, after I'd been averaging 25, 30 miles, most days on this trip, that previous day was 40 miles and a really hard 40 miles. Uh, next day is only eight miles into this little community called Una River. So, so now I'm, I'm just a little South, uh, I'm about a, a two day paddle South of Prince Rupert, which is, um, pretty good size port of call in British Columbia. And that was going to be my next resupply where I'd come in and, and get the new, the new food, the new charts and rest up, grab a hot shower. But I ended up in this little tiny town of Una river population of about 30 people. And, uh, uh, I ran into some, um, uh, actually two guys that owned a, a fishing boat and, uh, they, they decided to sleep on their boat that one night that I was um, in Una River, and uh, he put me up in his cabin in the woods. So here I go from this horrific experience uh, to sleeping in this man's um, cabin. He'd got a fire going for me. Um, I'm taking a bubble bath in his tub. I've got a glass of wine beside me, <laughs> and I'm invited to this um, little party in the forest uh, that evening, this little bonfire-style party where I met some of the locals and and just had this, this, you know, wonderful, wonderful experience. And, um, I was also at that party, I was offered a ride, uh, into Prince Rupert. So that was a good, about a 20 mile paddle into that, that resupply port of call that I, I really wasn't looking forward to paddling that stretch of water. It was notorious for being, um, you know, pretty sketchy at times and, and the weather was deteriorating again. So I was like, wow, really? Uh, He's like, yeah, you could just throw your boat on the back of our fishing boat. It was like a, a 37-foot gill netter, I believe. And he goes, yeah, we're, we're going up to Prince Rupert um, to do some business. So just ride with us. So I'm like, hmm, okay, that sounds like a great idea. And, yeah, I, it just shaved off that, that distance that I didn't want to paddle. But, you know, then I started feeling a little sheepish about my decision the next morning when I'm getting ready to meet these guys down at the dock because – you know, it felt like cheating. You know, I, I kept telling myself, God, I'd come here to paddle the inside passage, not, not hitch rides. But, um, you know, in the end, I am so glad that I accepted that ride. I just went with my gut intuition on that one. And, and, uh, I made some new friends. Uh, it, it ended up becoming this adventure within an adventure. I, I've got this photo, um, that they took of me down in the, the cockpit of, of their fishing boat. And, um, I've got my arms around the guys and I'm just like, I am absolutely ecstatic. You can tell that I am just high as a kite. And, and, uh, it was just, just, uh, one of those highlights of the adventure that was, you know, back to back to the absolute miserable low light of the adventure. <laughs> it is funny how that works. Uh, and it is consistent. I've learned you, (laughs) if you are having the worst day you could have ever imagined, chances are the next day is going to be one of the best. It's just, I don't know what it is, but I don't know if it's just feels better because the day before was terrible, but yeah, to go from Mm -hmm. sleeping on that muddy, sketchy, probably bear infested beach to in a cabin with a uh, bubble bath (laughs) and a glass of (laughs) wine is two different worlds it's two different worlds and so that's that's the things that you know that happen on an an adventure like this you cannot plan to meet people 
on that island, that little tiny island, and and be there with fr- people that you just met that are now friends at a bonfire, and then get a ride. You you cannot plan mm-hmm. for that, but when you put no. yourself out there, man, so many just incredible things like that begin to happen. That and that's the beauty of the adventure, and that seems like that's always the highlight. Any any stories that I hear of, of people on land or water based adventures, it's always the people that you meet along the way, and and how they typically will uh, take you you know, under, under their wing. And they, they, they want to, they want to, they want to fatten you up. They want to, they want to feed you. Yeah. They want to give you, <laughs> they want to give you wine or beer and, and a hot shower Take and do care your laundry. You. Yeah. And it's just, I had a few, um, experiences like that. And, uh, you know, they, that's what really sticks out. And so when you have the, the miserable experiences, you know, when I laid in the tent that night and was, you know, giving myself a pep talk, you know, I was just like, okay, you can do hard and, and this too shall pass. And if you just mm. keep reminding yourself <laughs> this too shall pass, um, you're on to the next highlight of the adventure. That's right. It always mm-hmm. passes. And, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's, it makes the smallest joys that much better when you come across them. The next cup of coffee, the next warm bed <laughs> or is just, you, it, it's magic. <laughs> yeah, that next bubble bath. <laughs> yeah, that next bubble bath, exactly. Yeah, it definitely uh, changes your worldview just to see how people treat others that are on an adventure. It's like people recognize when someone is doing something difficult and knows that it's uh, for good reason and good cause, and, and, and they, gosh, it's just the best in humans comes out. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. That is so cool. And, and, and so, so that was, you said, about almost halfway through the trip. Mm-hmm. And once you got through that, um, I'm sure there were other lows and other highs, but, and you mentioned, you know, animal encounters a few times. Did, did you have any really close calls with, with any sort of animals? Cause you, not only were you dealing with all the land animals, you're dealing with all the ocean animals too. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I had, uh, wonderful encounters with whales, uh, both, uh, humpback whales and uh, orcas or, or killer whales. Oh, man. And I mean, that that's really mag- magical. I think by the point that I did this expedition, I'd, I'd seen a fair number of whales in the wild pretty close to my kayak and actually go right underneath my boat. Uh, and those first experiences, you know, many years ago were, were pretty nerve wracking. Um, but then you just you get accustomed to it. And and it's it's magical. And, and you just know and trust that these that these creatures are aware of your presence. They're, they're not going to hurt you. I mean, yeah, there's a really slim chance that they could bump you. <laughs> um, but, um, I don't know if that has ever actually happened. Um, but it never happened to me. Uh, but the, the humpbacks can get uh, what 30 or 40 feet in length and weigh up to 40 or even 50 tons. So they're massive. You know, they just come lumbering by you. They, they just seem to appear out of nowhere. Um, but they're a little more predictable in, in terms of their, their movements, their, how they oscillate through the water than the, um, the killer whales are. The killer whales usually travel in packs and, um, they're just really fast and, and, uh, aggressive, not, not aggressive, like toward me, but just their, their movements and how they're just playful and rambunctious. Uh, <laughs> and they have teeth. Um, they have these six inch long pearly white teeth that can be a little, nerve wracking when they're coming straight at you in this six foot tall dorsal fin. But, uh, I've got some great photos, um, that I incorporate into my, my slideshow presentations, um, of, of the whale encounters, um, bears, um, not so magical. Um, you know, they, they are, uh, 
I always call them grizzly bears because that's what they are in Montana, but the, the coastal variety are, they, they call them brown bears. And um, they're essentially the same species um, based on the research that I've done, but because of this rich salmon diet that they prefer, this really high fat nutrient dense diet, the coastal brown bears can be up to twice the size of the, the, their inland compatriots in, in Montana. They're, they're just, they're massive. And, um, I, I didn't have any bad encounters with them. I, I just saw so many of them, um, mostly as I was paddling and looking for places to camp, um, to the point where I was actually in tears a couple times. I'm paddling along and I come around a corner and there's a mama bear just like right there, you know, moving, um, logs and stones around foraging and, and moving them like they're just pieces of styrofoam. <laughs> and, and, and it's pouring rain and I don't know when I'm going to be able to come ashore. And I'm, I just remember jabbing my paddle into the water and just like crying, like this wasn't in the brochure. I want my money back. <laughs> I want to take a second to tell you about the nomadic. It's a subscription box curated for outdoor enthusiasts by outdoor enthusiasts. So each month you get a handpicked selection of the latest and greatest outdoor gear that's been trip tested and approved by the Nomadic product team, which is made up of guides, athletes, and you know, bona fide adventures. They partner with brands like Mountainsmith, Gear Aid, Sea Align, Mizu, Empowered, RX Bar, and a lot more. This month's theme is relaxed to the max. So one item inside is an exclusive hammock by Lawson Hammocks, an award-winning hammock maker who's been voted number one by Backpacker and Outside Magazine. So order by May 14th to get this box. So get quality gear by Brands You Trust delivered right to your doorstep monthly. Learn more at thenomadic.com slash ASP. This episode is also sponsored by CS Instant Coffee, 100% Arabica coffee with compostable packaging. And you can find them at csinstant.coffee and use Adventure at checkout for 20% off. Even, you know, yeah. tough, tough cookie like you, just you're broken down to tears out there. That's You're, you're put in the place of like a child a lot of times. And mm-hmm. I know exactly that feeling. You just, this uh, this sucks. Everything about right now just sucks. <laughs> and I'm going to yeah, cry. You're, and you're like, why am I doing this again? <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is, but, yeah, gosh, that is so true. That is too yeah. funny. <laughs> Man, I just can't imagine the beauty. I'm looking at it on the map right now and just this incredible network of islands and mountains and ocean. And Mm -hmm. I just can't imagine what some of the highs felt like for you. Um, You know, we've been talking about a lot of lows. Was there there a particular moment that stuck out that was just maybe the most alive you've ever felt? Mm. Yeah, there are a few. well, the uh, what immediately comes to mind is the 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 image that's on the cover of my book, um, where you know I've got the red kayak, and then there's these beautiful mountains in the background, and there's an iceberg right in front of the kayak. So that was toward the end of the expedition, and um, by that point, I, I you know one of the reasons I wanted to paddle to Alaska is I wanted to see glaciers and icebergs, and boy, did I ever. Uh, uh, some icebergs. And on that particular day, 
it, it had been raining for a couple of days leading up to that day. And, um, again, I was kind of feeling like a little, little down and out and, and I knew that there were beautiful mountains out there, but I couldn't see them. And I was getting really frustrated. And, uh, I took a quick lunch break and I started paddling out of this bay and the clouds just started lifting and, and the fog started, um, clearing out really quick. And so I, I stopped to take a quick break to stretch my legs. And that's when I turned around and just saw the, the peaks just in all their glow. The sun was hitting them just right. And this per it almost looks like I photoshopped it, but I didn't. There's this perfect cloud hovering over the Alaskan mountains. And this iceberg just very gently floats in between my kayak and, and this mountain view. And, and I snapped that photo. And, uh, you know, I never intended to write a book when I, when I did this trip, but then fast forward a few years and it ends up being the cover photo, um, you know, for, for the, for the memoir that resulted from this expedition. So yeah, that, that was definitely a highlight. And, and, uh, my very last campsite was, um, also a highlight. Uh, it, it was, um, hands down my favorite campsite out of the entire trip. Uh, it was just one of those picture postcard perfect sites where um well first there was no no signs of bears so that was a huge amenity of this site <laughs> i um i had a little babbling brook that came in uh near where my tent was so having fresh water at a campsite is always a bonus uh wildflowers like these brilliant pink wildflowers were everywhere and um just sweeping views up toward Juneau, which was my final destination. And at that time it was only 15 miles away now. So I'd paddled almost 1200 miles. I've got 15 miles to go. And I'm just looking out at these snow-capped peaks and icebergs. And and then to top it all off, the icing on the cake, just before I retired for the night, was a small pot of humpback whales had come in into that bay and they were they were playing playing in that bay actually for, for a few hours to, to the point where I had to, at one point I unzipped the tent cause I'm trying to sleep. Right. And I unzipped the tent and I'm like, Hey guys, you know, do you mind? Oh my <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trying to sleep here. It was so, it was so funny. It was just so magical. Uh, you could, you could die happy after a, a night like that. <laughs> Couldn't you though? I mean, how many pounds, yeah. what percentage of people ever get to see something like that? after experiencing yeah. something like that. I mean, that really is what people build their entire lives to experience a moment mm -hmm. like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I was, I was a very lucky girl. For that sure. is so cool. Golly. And so, so yeah, you, you, you mentioned, um, I've heard you talk about it before in, in the book, you, you felt like you were maybe settling in life before you did this. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I was. Um, yeah. Going back to some of the reasons that I, I chose to do this in the first place. Um, yeah, it was definitely a, a low point of my life. Um, my father had recently died uh, from the advanced stages of Alzheimer's. So that was really hard on me. Um, and my long-term relationship uh, had just fallen apart. So I ran this kayak company for 10 years with um, my partner and we, um, you know, we had just it just dissolved. And so therefore the business dissolved. And so I had to walk away from that. So, so, you know, that paddle sports business had at that time defined me for 20 years. And so now here I am, I'm, I'm jobless, I'm fatherless. Um, I'm very restless and I just kind of lost my, my sense of where I belonged. And, um, 
And then also within a three month span, a close friend of mine died <laughs> and, you know, it's just like trouble comes in threes, right? Threes or fours. And, and then my cat got eaten by a coyote. I started sounding like a country Western Jeez, song. Yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> I need to write some music. Dang. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I just, um, you know, if it was anything, I needed a reset button. I need to recalibrate myself because I was kind of resorting back to my self-defeating behaviors and, <clears throat> and, um, just, you know, making some really poor choices. And, and I just felt like I was settling uh, in life at that time. And, and I've always been very goal oriented. And I just I just needed another goal. <laughs> and so the, the inside passage, of course, um, became that goal. And, and, you know, I think we all strive to become better versions of ourselves. And, and I knew that there were going to be challenges on this trip. I just had no idea how profound they would be. But I knew that there would be adversity. And, and I I think a big reason that I chose to do this was I wanted to see how that adversity would would change me and how it would make me a better, stronger version of myself. And and that's I think that's exactly what happened. And that that's what I set out to do. And and um, yeah, it, it worked. <laughs> yeah. And, and so when you woke up on that last day after that incredible evening on the campsite um, and you kayaked the rest of the way. Mm-hmm. what was what was going through your head and what did you feel like was was different within you i know it's it's hard to get perspective that close to the end you know when you're that close to the event still but what do you think had changed at that point well that's a good question i um you know as i was approaching the the quote-unquote finish line um it was a mellow day you know only had 15 miles the weather was was very reasonable and i just i felt very accomplished you know, just very, I was very content and happy and, and just, you know, rewinding all that I had experienced, but just also, you know, realizing that what I, what I had done was, you know, not really extraordinary. I mean, and paddlers, you know, there's all kinds of crazy expeditions going on out there. You know, look at some of the people that you've interviewed that have like rowed across entire oceans or circumnavigated entire continents and, and, you know, done all these crazy, crazy things. But, you know, at the same time, I felt what, what I did was extraordinary just in, in my, my own little bubble that I, that I was living in. And, (laughs) um, I just remember, you know, paddling into Juneau and, and, um, you know, there was no greeting committee. It was, and, and I knew that, you know, there was nothing planned like the, the wonderful poignant launching ceremony that my friends put together for me. So it was just me and my kayak and uh, another quickly rising tide and a muddy bank and uh, dealing with all my gear and and uh, uh, actually a pretty crabby harbor master that wanted my kayak out of his way. I needed to pay him to leave it there for a few days. Um, and then I had to cross four lanes of busy traffic to check into a motel and <laughs> wait three days for the Alaskan ferry. That was my shuttle ride home. Um, it, it only leaves once a week and I definitely didn't want to missed that boat. <laughs> and so I hung out, <laughs> hung out for a few days and, and wheeled my kayak, uh, onto the ferry and, and rode that boat, um, all the way back to Bellingham, Washington. Got to uh, basically enjoy the whole route again. Yeah, it was, that was pretty bizarre. So that rewound, you know, it took me 66 days to paddle, rewound the entire trip at a, a much faster rate, of course, in three and a half days from a, uh, quite a bit higher vantage point. 
<laughs> so, I, so you got to was, see it in a whole new way. And, and I mean, you could have sat there and talked anyone's head off like I camped there that night. That's where I saw a bear. That's where this happened. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> that is incredible. Golly. So, you know, it's beautiful how when you get to the end of a journey like that, you're not... Yeah, it, it, it's still adventure, meaning it's the unexpected. It, it, it's crossing a bunch of traffic. It's, you know, <laughs> dealing with people that don't give a crap about what you just did. Mm-hmm, right. <laughs> and it, it's just funny how it, it is like that. Yeah, I've gotten to the end of trips and thought, yeah, this is exactly how it's supposed to be, I guess. And mm-hmm. there's no parade. There's no interviews lined up, you know, immediately. <laughs> there's no news reporting. It's kind of just keeping going. And that's the way I wanted it. Really, I, I, uh, I, I didn't want you know any fanfare. And the, the key, the trip was really low key. Um, you know, at that time, I wasn't sponsored um, at that time, and I really didn't want to be because you know with that comes a responsibility, of course. And uh, yeah. and I wasn't big on Facebook. This was in 2010, so I, I wasn't big on Facebook um, at all in social media, you know, it was really just starting to come around, I think. So it was actually really yeah. kind of refreshing. I'm, I'm getting ready to do the inside passage again. Um, so 2020 will of course be the 10 year anniversary of my first big trip. And, um, it, it'll be interesting to see how, how the inside passage has changed and, and how I've changed. And, um, you know, there will of course be social media, um, involved and, uh, Exped is, is now sponsoring me, which is, uh, evolved into this wonderful, wonderful collaboration. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's kind of a different mindset, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And it's so, so what is, um, are you going to do kind of the sim- similar route and try to recreate the trip as much as possible? Is there, is there any new twist on this? How is it going to yeah, be? I think, I, I think I'm going to put a twist on it. You know, I've got, um, I've got about a year to, to figure that out, but I don't think I'm going to be quite as linear as I was last time where I just paddled from A to B to Z until, you know, I pretty much just ran out of ocean. Um, I'm gonna, um, I want to start here in the Puget Sound and, and relive some of that, uh, nostalgia. And then I think I'm going to do a little ferry hopping and, and skip a few sections because what I've got my sights on is way up in the Alaskan panhandle, um, further west we're getting starting to get pretty remote um there's what they refer to as the abcs so there are three massive islands um admiralty island baranoff island and chickenoff island and i've got my sights set on baranoff which is where sitka is and the ferries uh the alaska ferry does make a trip to sitka once a week and so i think that's going to be like the grand finale and I want to um, get myself over there and circumnavigate Sitka, which will be about a 400-mile um, cir- circumnavigation around that island. And the, the west side of um, Baranoff is really exposed to um, the Pacific Ocean. It's not like, you know, the inside of the Inside Passage where you're, you're, you're mostly protected with those tens of thousands of islands. Uh, so this is like really exposed um, exposed terrain there. So it's, it's going to be a new challenge for me for sure. Wow. And, and now you, you also have a purpose behind this, right? For sure. So there was a couple of gals, um, who, uh, kayaked the inside passage last year. Uh, they flew in from Australia to Aussies in their early twenties and they paddled from Glacier Bay, which is just a little Northwest of Juneau, 
um, all the way down to Victoria on, on Vancouver Island. And they'd been living plastic free um, in their you know everyday lives for three years. And so their challenge was to um, transfer that lifestyle to to their adventure, to their to their expedition. And they did. And I followed them on on their blog and their social media. And they now travel all over and give slideshow presentations. And they, um, all the garbage that they generated from their three-month trip, you could hold in the palm of your hand. And so wow. they, they came, yeah, and so they didn't use, like, usually my go-to, my knee-jerk reaction, as I think is most people when they're getting ready for a, a trip, is Ziploc bags. Let's go to Costco and, you know, get gallon size, snack size, quart size Ziploc bags. Everything goes into this plastic, Right. And they didn't do that. They used wax wraps. They used gunny sacks. They used butcher paper, newspaper, things that they, they could burn. Because what they had said that really hit home with me is that every single piece of plastic that has ever been created still exists on this planet, right? We, we all know the, that plastic doesn't break down. And this huge issue we have with marine um, pollution, with plastic in our oceans, and that they're saying by 2050, there's going to be more more plastic in our oceans than fish. So the, mm. these gals have really inspired me to try to emulate what they did. Um, I, I don't know if I'll be able to go exclusively plastic free like they did, but you know, f- for me, it's more about be- becoming aware of the small changes I can make in my daily life and to help our environment and extending like they did, extending those changes to my outdoor adventures and and trying to be a part of the, the better good these versus being part of the problem. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how, how that all plays out. But I'm really excited about that, bringing a, you know, sort of a, um, a message um, along with me this time. Whereas when I did it in 2010, it was, you know, I, I didn't have any, any message or mission that I was on other than just to get myself to, to Juneau, Alaska. So... Hopefully I can raise awareness this time around. Yeah. And, and, and you know, I, I want to say you, you did have, maybe it wasn't a message for, you know, some, something like that, but you had a great reason to go. And that's what I always love. I, I love doing my trips for a cause, not all of them, about half of them. And the other half are just because I need a, like you said, a restart button. I need to, mm-hmm. I need to mix something up and get out of this funk um, yeah. So, so did you, and you know, I, I meant to ask this earlier, but I'd love to know, did you see any evidence of like trash or, or, or just waste or, or anything just really unexpected like that that you were like, wow, I didn't expect to see that out here? Yeah, not so much. Not, not in 2010. Um, I, I did, I did see some trash, some plastic floating up on the beaches, some marine debris, but, um, you know, nothing like, uh, in the last couple of years or last, what, five, six, seven years, how it's really, um, impact has gotten, you know, so, so much worse. I I spent a lot of time paddling in remote wilderness coastlines. I'm not doing these thousand mile trips, but I am still out there. And and so I see firsthand now how, how plastic and marine debris are seriously, you know, impacting our coastlines. But on that trip, um, no, not, not so much to be honest. That's good news. That's good to hear. Awesome. But yeah. and I hope it. I hope it stays that way, or at least get, keeps going in that direction. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So, so yeah. So, with this trip coming up in twenty twenty, are you going to be posting anywhere? And if so, how can people follow you? 
Yeah. Um, so my website, uh, SusanMarieConrad.com. I'll, uh, I've got a blog on there and I'll, I'll probably, um, be posting updates on that. And, uh, on my, of course, my Facebook page and all those links to my, my social media are front and center on, on my homepage. And then I'll probably use some sort of a, a tracking device, um, either with uh, Spot has a tracking device or Garmin has what's called InReach, where, you know, friends and family can log on to um, Google Earth or Google Maps and, and uh, follow you. So I'll be sharing that, that URL with people. And if, they, if they're interested, they can uh, see where I'm at in real time at any given time. And if that little bouncing orange ball is moving, then they can, uh, probably deduce that I'm still alive and moving. <laughs> <laughs> Good. It's a nice feature. It's a nice feature for the nervous Nellies, uh, that, uh, especially on my 2010 trip that were convinced that I was going to perish on this. They, they, that was peace of mind for them, uh, to be able to log on and, and, and see that at least my tracking device was still moving. <laughs> You know, it, it's surprising how many people feel the need to come and tell you that I think you're going to die on, on adventures. It's like, wow, you, wow, that's you haven't talked to me in years, and well, thanks for sharing that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, there's that, or are you crazy? Are you crazy? What are you doing? You can't be doing that. Just the, it's funny how certain it, what it draws out in people. Um, that are around you. It's, it's very awesome, but wow. Well, congratulations. I know it was almost 10 years ago now, but fantastic work. I hope it was the restart button for you and, uh, your Mm -hmm. life since in the last decade. Um, that is incredible. And I aspire to do it one day myself. I I think it'd be incredible. Sounds awesome. Yeah, it was, it was life-changing, profoundly life-changing. Thank Uh, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to share my story. Yeah, no worries. I I really appreciate it. This was awesome. Can't wait to, I can't wait to show people, you know, send them to your website to look at pictures because it's unbelievable, the scenery and the the entire experience. I can't even imagine. So thank you. It's a magical place. Thank you. Yeah. And, uh, all right, we'll be in touch when it comes out. Okay. Sounds like a plan. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Well, first of all, thank you so much for listening to this episode. It really means the world to us that you want to spend your time with us. If you'd like to help us further, please just leave us a review on iTunes, share us on social media, tell your friends about us. You can become a patron, a supporter of the show for $5 a month at patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. And if you know somebody that would make a good guest, reach out. We're always looking for good adventure and outdoor stories. And lastly, thank you to our sponsors whose messages follow right now. Athletic Brewing makes the best non-alcoholic craft beer. Go to their website at athleticbrewing.com and use the code in our show notes to save 15% on your first order. The Nomadic, the first outdoor subscription box that helps you go on more adventures with the latest gear by delivering themed monthly boxes with innovative products and an outdoor challenge to match. Learn more at thenomadic.com ASP. After all this adventure talk, if you're needing some gear yourself, but you need some advice before buying, go to backpacktribe.com where you can ask questions to the owners who have experience with all the gear as well as all of it for sale right there on their website.